The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Welcome. If you're watching me on YouTube, I've never said that before, but I'm trying to push everyone to go to YouTube. Um, You can also see my fabulous guest. Um, Anyways, I have a couple housekeeping items. I love to say housekeeping items. Uh, Number one, like and subscribe on YouTube. You can see my guest and myself having conversations. It's very intriguing. I also post other stuff up there now with a little help from my friends, Celeste and Elena, because I'm not the least technical person on the planet. Um, The second thing is please subscribe to Patreon. So Patreon is a subscription-based platform. Um, I'm going to be putting additional content up there. My husband and my children may show up. So that might be fun for you. And it's going to be a little bit lighter. So it won't be a series of topics. We'll probably get into quite a bit of like argumentative, argumentative things. Uh, some, some topics uh, between my husband and, and I about who cleans the dishes at night, like very exciting topics that families and mothers and dads can relate to. Then my last thing is my story. Okay. I'm, and I might bring my guest in on this one. So I, I have a public service announcement for you. Um, if you are over the age of 40, which I am, and so is my guest, um, it, I have a, I, I'm, doing, I'm doing you a favor by telling you this right now. If you are wearing a romper 
it's, I just, I, I'm trying to, I'm doing a public service announcement right now. Rompers are not okay for anyone unless they're 11 and under, or if you happen to be over the age of 40 and you are like, you know, like you have, you've like, you're very thin, maybe rompers are still okay to wear. But if you are a curvy lady and you are over the age of 40 and perhaps you ha- you are very pale or you have sunspots or uh, you just cannot wear a romper. And I really need to tell you that. And it's not me being mean. Well, maybe it's me being a little bit mean because I did witness somebody that should not have been wearing one. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to judging Megan. And I just, I need your input here, Rachel, please. Like, what are your thoughts on rompers over the age of 40? So many thoughts going in my head right now. Okay, let's hear them. Let's hear them. Okay, so the romper saved me when I had a business trip to Laos because it was like 130 degrees every day. And I had like spaghetti strap, shorts, romper thing. And I uh-huh. just, and it was dark navy, and I just put it on. And nobody could see the profuse sweating that was happening. And I didn't have okay, to bring okay. clothes. So yes, and all my pictures of me beat red face with my romper on. So I'll I'll have to send you a picture. So in that case, I'm I'm pro romper when you're in Laos in April, which is the hottest month in Laos. Um, other than okay, that, well I I'm okay with a romper in Laos, especially. Yeah. Well, also Rachel, you're teeny tiny, and we'll get oh, into that in a second. Thanks, I do. But um, like. Rompers are good. You could get, I'm going to give you this. You can get away with a romper. Mm. I could not. If I wore a romper, like people would be like, um, what do you do? Like, do not wear a romper. It is not okay. And then also if you don't have a, like a suntan and you decide to wear the shorts, not to mention, like, let's bring up the issue of using the ladies, like using Uh, the restroom. It can't be a pleasant experience, right? No, it's it's not. You have to kind of pull it sideways and things can go wrong. You know I, mean, I mean, this is getting X-rated. Okay, well, <laughs> well I am doing. A, I'm trying to do a public service announcement. And you know what, ladies, if you are curvy, I'm all for it. You wear whatever you want to wear. But in my personal opinion, there's certain things that you probably shouldn't be wearing. And I'm really doing this to help you. So, and and it's really because I can't get what I saw yesterday out of my eye sockets. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, not, I'm not always nice. I'm not always nice. Even though I try to always be nice. I, I, that's my one thing that I do have to say. And then I'll go back into like what I'm trying to talk about today, which is important. So everyone, I would like to introduce you to my guest, Rachel Kaufman. Rachel Kaufman is not only my first friend I ever had in my life besides Allison Bigelow. Um, but Rachel Kaufman was my neighbor growing up in Potomac, Maryland. Rachel Kaufman's parents were basically my second parents from a very young age. Rachel and I met at the age of three. Um, and she has gone on to not impressive at all. She's now a published author. She is, um, her company is called Integrated Healing Vibes. 
And she, tell me a little bit, because you also do um, life like coaching and energy mm-hmm. healing. Tell me a little bit before we go into your story about what you do. Right. So the, it used to be called Healing Vibes with two E's because that was the only thing on the, the website available, Healing Vibes. And I'm like, oh, I do reflexology. It's, it's a cool pun, but it got old. So I added integrated this, this early this year and, and LLC'd it. And the integration is because I started, I've been doing healing work since the early 2000s. And I've been wanting to do coaching for a long time because I felt like that was a missing piece. I could help clients not just lie there and receive energy work, but also actually take some ownership, you know, because it's a lot of coaching. The coaching that I learned was it's a lot of learning. You have to have like these aha moments for learning and be open to changing and improving or changing, maybe not improving. Um, so the the integration is taking the energy healing. And so working with, I work with clients on this program. I just named recently back to balance or, in, you know, some, I'm still toying with the name to be honest, because it's basically they get coaching, life coaching and healing work. So I've got my massage table behind me. Um, people can come in and get coaching and healing at the same time, or I do a lot of coaching on, on teams or zoom. And it really gets at, and because I'm a middle-aged parent, you know, it really, that's my new kind of laser of focus is parents like me who are professionals have been working, you know, many years, I worked in international public health for years. Um, they're stressed out Their, you know, their health might be bad, their mental health, physical health, all that stuff. They don't find enough time for themselves. And so first of all, they need to understand that self-care is important, right? So I'm, that integration of having them have these learning moments with the coaching. And then also I'm tapping into their energy system and seeing what literally is going on with their, you know, the chakras, um, their energy. No, I believe in all of that, Rachel. I don't know if I, you know this, but I did Reiki and I, I haven't been doing it lately, but I'm a huge believer in it. And I got all my my crystals and gadgets. I call them my gadgets, my crystals and oils. So I can't live without these either. I've got, I'm always like, you know, when I work on a client or myself um, or my family, when they're lucky, you know, I, I put crystals on people. I'm putting oils everywhere. I'm spraying things. I'm Can you do your things. work? Can you do your work? Like you said over Zoom, you can coaching, do th- coaching. You can. Yeah. Coaching. Okay. Cause I'm like, how would you get the crystal energy through the Zoom screen? Actually, um, I can. You can. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, let's, I- let's. Let's just talk about one thing really quickly, and then we'll go back to this at the end. Um, yeah. If our three-year-old selves <laughs> sitting in, on our on Weatherwood Court, which was a uh, shout out Potomac, Maryland, like where we grew up, shout loved it. The yeah, best cul-de-sac ever. Um, if we if we could see ourselves now, like when we were little kids, I'm like, hello, I'm a podcaster and I'm a healer. <laughs> like, first of all, both of us would be like, what is that? Because <laughs> when we of were course, kids, none of this existed. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's like, I hate to say the word hoot, but it is a hoot. It's a hoot that we're together. Um, I know. So glad to I love it. Me. I love every second of it. Um, so and I love your parents. So shout out, shout out Robbie and Diane. Um, but I do want to go, I do want to go into why you came on. So 
we've been like kind of like in touch over the years, like on and off. And then I saw that you had had been published in this book called Her Badass Story. I'm holding this up for my YouTube subscribers. You can get this on Amazon. Is it her? Is it her badass story too? So there's a there's, there's a, a first one. one. Yeah, there's a number one, and and um, because my friend and I, who are my friend Raven Rhonda, who's also in it, we both love purple. The first book is yellow and brown, and we preferred purple. So the second book, we had a little bit of say in the color, and the second version. And they're actually looking for badass women for the third version, which is like a two I'm, blue. I'm available. So, I'm available. Yes, um, so, I would, I'm joking. No, I would. I would do it. Yeah. Um, but this book, okay, so I so Rachel, I guess you had posted like a month or two ago, like I'm a published author, and I'm always for supporting other women and especially like women that have impacted my life like Rachel has. And so I needed to have her on because I also read the read her chapter that in the book and it's a story it's actually a story that I've never I have talked about you know miscarriage and uh you know I've talked about perimenopause I've talked about menopause I've talked about loss all of the things I've talked about um, but I have not done a story about that, what you are about to talk about today. So I think it's super important. I do have a lot of female listeners and, um, this is something that I think a lot of women can maybe relate to or have been found themselves in your shoes. And it's not something that I think people talk about enough. So I had to come and stalk you on Instagram and say, <laughs> Hey, Rach, Hey, Rach, or as we like to call each other as kids, Gomers. Hey, Gomad, um, will you come on the podcast? So thank yeah. you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to you know, share the story in the book. And my mom's response was, this is great, but you didn't show enough of the trauma that happened. And I was like, I think it's enough trauma for nine pages. But yes, there's always, there's always more trauma to discuss, um, good and the bad. Yeah. And I think it's important for people like part of why I do what I do is so people know it's okay to talk about this stuff and it's, and it's okay to get upset. And, you know, this is sadly, they're really hard things in life. And this happens to be one of them for you. And it was life changing. So let's talk about your story and like kind of what happened. And we'll just start with, you know, like your pregnancy, was it normal? Um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, my pregnancy was normal. Um, very, um, I would say, minimal effort getting pregnant, was not planning it. Um, but, you know, as an older mom, I figured it would take a while and got pregnant really quickly and um, was proceeding fine. Sonograms all were fine. You know, the baby was always measuring a little bit small, but I'm five feet tall, so I figured... Okay, small baby, small mom. Um, yeah. He was always like maybe, I don't know, the number two comes up. So like measuring small, but they, you know, they take a sonogram of the organs, the arteries and the veins and everything's fine. So I had been reading um, some books, just, you know, what you should be feeling. And I read that third trimester, you start feeling the kicking. So it was, you know, 25 weeks was probably the last sonogram I had and everything was fine. No, no, no problems. Like I have, 
you know, we all have health issues. I have one kidney, um, but, you know, they were measuring if I was, I was always doing fine and healthy and didn't show that much for a while because I guess, because I'm small and he was small. So, yeah. So tell me, so tell me what happened. Like you got to the 25 week ultrasound, everything looked normal. Pregnancy was normal. You were small. What happened when you kind of like, I mean, I don't want to give away what happened. So you tell what happened, but what happened the night or the day, I think I read when you kind of felt like something was off. So I had, I guess, just started third trimester, which is kind of is 28 weeks basically. And I think it's important for women to know that because there are different stages. And I, you know, I worked in maternal and child health for, you know, on international health projects and reproductive health. So I knew all about how things work and I'd worked with plenty of pregnant women and prenatal, perinatal. Um, So when I hit third trimester, um, I guess they didn't do sonograms very often on me because I was not a risk. So around, I'd say probably starting third trimester, the week before, because he was born at 29 weeks, two days, um, I started to feel like I didn't have as much like fullness. Like if I, you know, if you go to do a crunch and you come back up, my belly was nice and round, right? Like a nice, a nice pregnant belly, but it would sort of get concave, right? Like it was almost like uh, it would suck in and it was just subtle noticing because I'm very embodied and like notice changes in my body, but here's this human being created in my uterus. And, you know, it's like a whole new world when it's your first baby. So that was just sort of in the back of my mind that this is weird. And, um, and then as like the days progressed, it didn't really get better, but there was no other issues. Um, So there, I would feel him kicking a lot when I would go to work and I'd, be sitting at my desk that's when he would like kick me and he was breached so I would feel the kicks like in my vagina basically <laughs> I was like what is happening here and so he would kick me all the time when I was calm so that morning so it was uh the morning he was born so Friday morning um I woke up and all that was kind of the intuition was in the back of my head like something's off right but then I woke up and it was kind of silence. Like he would normally kick me uh, in the mornings, right? And you're lying there trying to sleep and relax. Of course, yeah. he's gonna, your baby's going to kick you, the feisty ones. Um, so I woke up and I just kind of started to notice he's not, there's no kicking. So basically he wasn't moving. And I had read in a book, if your baby's not kicking after the third trimester, during the third trimester, try drinking some orange juice to like give them sugar and then it wakes them up. Uh, try doing cow, cat and cow yoga, you know, so so I literally was like going to the fridge. My husband's still sleeping, you know, blissfully away because it's like seven in the morning and I had some orange juice, nothing happened. I did, I got on the floor and I was doing like cat and cow, you know, trying to like wake up baby and nothing was happening. It was like radio silence. And so then like, um, and everything happened in a blur, right? I didn't really think, oh, something might have been wrong before. It was just like my intuition kicked in. I was like, this is, nothing's not right um, with the concave belly and then this and this and this. So that's when I, I had just switched to a new OBGYN um, a few weeks before because I wanted a natural birth. And 
it's hard to find that around here in this area. Everyone's like, no, we're putting an IV in you and you're getting an epidural. And he was like, maybe he lied to me, but he's like, yeah, sure. I'll do a natural birth if you want it. So I called him and, you know, basically said, my baby's not kicking. I'm, he asked me how many, how far along I was. And I said, 29 weeks, two days. And then he said, not urgently, but like, okay, well, I, I think um, probably I should c come check it out. Like, let's meet at the hospital and, you know, we'll go from there. So that's. Let me, let me stop you for one second. Did yeah. you, when he said, let me meet you at the hospital, you, you were used to seeing, I know you only had him for two weeks, but other doctors you see in the doctor's office. Yeah. I'm an, I'm an alarmist. I know you're much calmer. So were you like, were you like at the time I'm saying, were you like, oh, no big deal. Maybe this is part of it. Cause I'm in the last trimester. Or how were you feeling? Were you like, this isn't good freaking out? Like, what was your, what, how were you feeling at that time? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's funny. I feel like sometimes I'm really calm and grounded and other times I'm like an anxious ball of whatever. So in that moment, I feel like the intu part of the intuition was not to, to not freak me out. Right. Because if I had stressed out, it would have been more, it would have been worse for like the baby. So I wasn't, I wasn't that freaked out. I was just like, I'm someone who, if something's off in my body, I do not wait um, to check it out. And so I was just thinking like, I'm doing my due diligence. Maybe I wasn't thinking worst case scenario because it was so like in the moment and just kind of going on instinct. You know, I, I wasn't thinking, Oh my God, my baby's going to die. Or like, um, but I woke up my husband and he was like, what's happening. And, and I said, well, we need to get to the hospital now but let's just drive. Let's not get speeding tickets. So it was, it's an interesting question because I, I think I was in hindsight calmer than I should have been, <laughs> but you know, like, what do you know? I mean, I'd rather well, go to the it's hospital. First than baby, it. It's first baby. And if you haven't had like, you know, I think people take for granted unless they've been through some kind of like trauma, whether it be like miscarriage or some kind of loss, I think many women don't, they're like, well, you're just pregnant. And then you just go to the hospital and have a baby. So that's a total normal reaction because you don't know what is, you hadn't been through it before is my point. Right. And I, I didn't know enough to panic, but it, it was, um, I knew it wasn't normal. Um, but I, I think, I think my main, the back, the background thought running in my head was like, this will be fine. Yeah. Like, this will be fine. Yeah. We're going to go to the hospital. He's probably fine. I know like my intuition when I first got pregnant and my doctor was like, Oh my God, you got pregnant too fast. You might have a miscarriage. And he was freaking me out. That's a whole other story. But you know, I knew like intuitively that the fetus, the baby, whatever was still there. And this time I was just trusting my instincts. Like I know he's, he's okay. Like he was okay at that moment, you know, so that's just what I went with. Like, it's all okay. We're going to get checked out. Um, and, and then we just rolled up to the hospital. It was like a beautiful day and okay, let's just stroll into the hospital. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And the lady yeah. intake was like, Oh, that's a cute, that's such a nice baby bump or whatever. You know, like I had this cute little maternity sweatshirt on. Um, and she, and she was like complimenting my baby bump, which is really weird, but that was like the last normal kind of conversation I had for, many months. 
Okay, so tell me then what happened. And by the way, it is it is not I mean, being pregnant is such a it's it's a it's a very scary thing. I mean, looking back on it, I cuz I had I had some issues before I I had Sophie like and I don't really talk about it on the podcast, but um I went through some stuff, put it that way. And so I was parent, I was like, so paranoid, both pregnancies. Like I was, I was a wreck. So I, but I do remember in my last pregnancy being like, you know, when people would be like, Oh, your baby. And I would like hold my stomach, you know, like it's such a special time that you're never going to have back again. So it's nice to have that memory of or of somebody saying, you know, like, look at how cute you are and your like little belly. Yeah. And then it's and then yeah, you, then you go into the hospital and that's where it really begins. So like let's talk about what what happened. Yeah, so I went um basically they brought me up to the I guess the whatever the maternity ward, the birthing ward and um they they said, all right, we're going to start taking the, the the heartbeat. We're going to start measuring the heartbeat of the baby. And this the whole thing was like like a black comedy, you know, because I'm standing there like maybe my baby's dying, maybe not. And there was no room available. And then I'm standing there and standing there. And then it felt like forever, but it was probably 10 minutes. I don't know. Um, and then they had to like wheel in those, you know, the beds where they wheel you into the OR and they wheel you. So they had to like wheel one into another room. And I'm just, I'm just like standing there and there's, you know, I'm not in a wheelchair. I'm just waiting for Godot basically. And they finally put me on the bed and they, they put this strap around me and they started to measure the heartbeat and they were like, okay, can you, the nurse was clearly not finding it or finding what she wanted. And she's like, can you move a little bit? And so I'm moving around and I've got this, you know, this like this elastic or Velcro strap with like a monitor around your, your, you know, your belly. belly. Yeah. And she's like looking and, and then, so, and this, I don't know if it was like minutes or half an hour. I have no idea. It was, you know, time kind of disappeared, but that's the trauma. Yeah. Yes. They, they didn't know she didn't like what she heard. And then all of a sudden there were like more nurses coming in. And then my doctor finally showed up and he looked at some stuff and he was like, okay, uh, the baby's heartbeats really, really fast. And now it's dropping, it's going fast and then it's dropping it's fast and it's dropping. And, and you could start as you could start to feel like the, the moods seep in like this, like oh shit mood you know of everyone like versus and then everyone was calm but like um it was and they sat my husband in the corner of the room and he was just forgotten about he was like uh just put there in the corner put baby in the corner and leave him there and he was just like in his own world like what is happening and so then however amount of time right because the trauma erased all that the the doctor came over and told us you know your baby's in distress um and it's it's not looking great i think we need to get him out now. And I, I know that like, I have a lot more time for, he has to cook a lot longer. And so then like the, what the F, you know, come starts that, then that starts to, the, the disbelief started to creep to like, came in really fast. Like, are you, are you kidding me? This is my life right now. Like I, and I said something like, he's not ready. He's not ready yet. And I of course try to fight it cause I'm feisty. And 
And then the, I, I basically told the doctor, I want a second opinion, you know, and he was nice enough. He took the EKG and he, he faxed it. Gotta love low technology. He faxed it to a, a guy who apparently is like a specialist with, with these issues. And he was on the phone with him. Um, and I appreciate that he, and I probably delayed the whole thing like 20 minutes because I said, I want a second opinion. Like, you're not going to cut my baby out without giving me a second opinion. Like, is this really necessary? And, that, and I think that that's an informed thing to do. And also yeah. just the this the piece of it of being afraid of like, this is like your baby is not done cooking. That's totally normal. I think most yeah. people would react that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he got the second opinion. He came in and he was like holding this long, you know, EKG thing. And he's, he's looking at it and he's like, yeah, I, I talked to the guy and he says this, your baby needs to come now. He's, he's in distress. And I don't know if he said something like he's going to die if you don't take him out now, but that was basically the gist of it was like, he coming out now and That's terrifying. He's coming out in emergency C-section. Yeah. And then we had like, all of a sudden I had an IV put in, I had a mask put on my face. Like I just started getting all that stuff I didn't want. Like I wanted a natural birth, you know? And right. And the trauma is just like coming now. And my husband's still sitting in the corner, like what is happening? And they basically left him there. Like he didn't even know what to do because they were so focused on me. Um, and so then they, then, the, so then I said, okay, we said, okay, fine. And of course the OR was like not available. I'm like, what has happened? Apparently there were a lot of births that day. Um, and I guess March, you know, March is a popular time to be born apparently. And, mm. um, and I know where it happened. Like my entire, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's my, a separate story that I want. Yes. Yeah. The hospital. And yeah. And like, well, half my family's born in March. So, so then they wheel me down. This is where I like, I try to, my main messages from my story in the book are like using humor and intuition. They're both really important to me. And I, I used both that day. So the intuition to like come in, the intuition. And, and then when they're wheeling me down to the OR, this, all of a sudden this emergency like light goes on and there's beeping and, and the hallway's flashing red, like right, And I'm going, what the hell? This is, this is hilariously horrible. And I, and I probably joked like, um, oh, you know, the, like the lights were up for me. It was just some totally random moment. And I mean, everything's so chaotic, but also just this total black comedy. I'm being wheeled down to like have my baby ripped out of me who's dying. And there's just emergency lights going off. And I almost like started laughing because it was so ridiculous. Um, you're so like, good. this can't be happening. It's like out of a movie. It was yeah. like slow motion. Just so you know, I mean, you've known me my whole life pretty much. I'm the same way. I mean, if you can't see humor in every, I mean, I see humor in things every day. I mean, look at this, the podcast, you know, you have to be able to see humor and, and, and out of humor comes strength, I believe. So the humor is an asset to the trauma. I mean, and then thinking of your poor husband, you know, sitting in the corner, like not getting answers is like, he has his own separate trauma on that and must've been terrified. And so you're being wheeled into that, to the room, the alarm's going off. Then, then what happened? So um, again, like my mini trauma of, I wanted a natural birth. I did hypnobirthing and 
um, you know, and of course they're like, okay, sit up and we're going to give you an epidural. And um, my whole being screaming like this sucks, you know, and, but what can you do? You got to like, you know, I don't want to feel the pain when they cut me open. So, um, and I even, and this is kind of funny part of the black humors, you know, had been belly dancing a lot um, for the probably about 10 years before this. And I, I said, they started shaving me in prep for the surgery, I think in the room. And they, they were, st- and, and I said to them, don't, um, something like, oh, you don't have, to, they're going to have to cut really low because I'm still going to need to wear my belly dance outfits and not have my scar show. And they were like, they were like, like no, honey. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm laughing because I've literally hardly belly danced since he was born. Um, and that's not his fault, but like, uh, I'm laughing at my, how like, that was important to me at the time is don't make my scar too high so that you can't see it in my belly dance outfit. Um, but that's so, like, but that's totally normal because that's like how our brains are able to like process. deal with, like we our our brains literally can't process like something like that. No, they just I was, can't. I was just it's like going into fight or flight. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going into like, fight or flight. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like, again, the whole thing was like a black comedy you know, nightmare scenario. Um, but not a nightmare because, you know, but so anyway, they, they did the epidural and then I could barely breathe, you know, like, and I'm sure many women have experienced that. You just, you can barely breathe. Cause like everything stops feeling and working. And, and then I started putting my hypnobirthing techniques to work. I was breathing and then I'm lying there and I feel someone stroking my arm. That's like a hypnobirthing technique where you, you that while you're giving birth, like your, your partner strokes your arm. And this is also another funny moment. Cause I'm like, who the hell is stroking my arm right now? And I look over and I see like this dude with, you know, a mask and a, and a, and like a, a cap on. And it took me literally a few seconds to realize it was my husband who finally had been allowed into the room. And he was, God bless him. Like he was doing the hypnobirthing technique. And it actually helped. It was nice, you know? Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply because I couldn't feel anything else. Um, and so we did it. We did have no birthing. <laughs> yeah, you technically did it. I did it. I mean, I had I had two, I had two um, C-sections and mine were planned because they thought I was having a 10-pound baby and I'm not brave like you. I was like, just give me whatever. But I, I do know, I mean, on a separate note, and I know you know this story, but I do know the trauma and the, the fear of like getting the needle in the back and, uh, you know, because that's how I lost my best friend was she got that epidural and the whole history behind what happened after that. So I, I do know that fear. I mean, it's very scary knowing, oh my gosh, like what's happening and your body's not your body. It's like they're, you hear them talking, right? And they're like cutting you open, taking your, basically taking your parts out, putting them on a tray and then putting them back in, you know? And you're yeah, just and you're sitting just like there. Yeah, yeah, you're basically, that's what you are. You're basically a piece of meat. So what, so what? I think we're scared people who want to have babies. No, and I always say that. I do say that to no, but I do say to people, the chances of like, I mean, if you've listened to my earlier episodes and I am re-releasing the episode about Julie um, and what happened to her, but um, um, it's the chances of something going wrong in an epidural or anything like that are very small. So if you're pregnant, I don't want to scare anybody and I would never want to do that. Um, okay, so so then they got the baby out. Yeah, so then, um, first of all, my doctor had his Achilles heel severed, whatever. So he was literally d delivering on those, you know, those little like scooters people around with their one legs up in the back. So he was scooting around like that, which is hilarious. Um, and then his phone rang, um, and his phone ring was um, that song about um, back December, back in 63, dun, dun, dun. No. Yeah. What an, no. what an, I, yes. Yeah, so that went off and I'm lying there with this, you know, the curtains here and I'm oh like, Oh my gosh, this is a black comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I thought like they had put music on for me or something. I was like, cool. You know, not that I, this is not my song. Well, they do, but they do usually play music. They played music during mine, but oh, maybe nice. not during no, yours. No, this was just, no, there was no music. It was all emergency. Because it was very serious. And yeah. They told okay. me if the baby's heartbeat drops to even more, we're going to have to just knock you out and cut him out no matter how we can get him out. I was like, oh, hell no. So I was breathing and I was doing my calm breathing and I kept his, his, um, because when you freak out, the baby freaks out, yeah. you know. So his, I kept his, um, as now that I knew it was happening, I kept his heartbeat like as calm as I could. And, um, and so then, yeah, so then he's wheeling around on one leg, the, 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 um, his phone goes off like that. And if somebody was calling him, it was just his ringtone and we kind of started laughing and then they, I could feel like tugging. Right. So they took him out and it was just silence. There was no, there was no 
no noise. Um, and again, like time, I don't, you know, I feel like every birth is a trauma, even if it goes well, but like, I don't know how much time passed, but they had to revive him. I had to go through his files, his files like this thick. And I reread it last year and they, he basically came out and was like not breathing. Nothing was happening. He was bruised because he had no amniotic fluid. He was getting like, I call it saran wrapped. He was getting a shrink wrapped. He was getting shrink wrapped. And so, and he was butt up. He had no butt, but he, when they, when they took him out, he was, his feet were down. His butt was facing the doctor completely like the most backwards he could be. And, and uh, he, they had to revive him. So I, I don't, I didn't know what was going on. I just, um, they were, you know, they do their thing on the side with the whatever. And I don't even remember hearing him cry, but they just brought him over after a few minutes and he was just kind of looking around these big black eyes because his eyes weren't really even formed yet. So their eyes are like black before they turn a different color. Like he wasn't fully baked, but he was looking around like, where am I? What planet am I on? And and then they whisked him away. And then I didn't see him for another hour and a half because they were prepping him for the NICU um, because the, the the hospital where he was born only took babies 32 weeks and older. And so he had to be transferred to another hospital. So I basically was stuck there for two days recuperating and he went to another hospital and I didn't see him for... I guess he was born Friday and I didn't see him till Sunday. And my husband went over there with, with my, my parents who, by the way, while this was happening, were like on a plane flying to Denver and then going to Jackson Hole, Wyoming to go skiing. <laughs> and Daniel, my husband called them and was just really, you know, freaking out. And, you know, they didn't understand what he was saying and, because he said that the baby's not doing well and they thought that the, their dog wasn't doing well. They were very confused. And basically they they were like, should we fly back or not? And he's like, yes, fly back. So they, as soon as they landed, they got that message and then they flew back. So they- And your parents must've been a wreck too. I know your parents, they're like the best parents, most involved parents ever. So yeah. that must've been- very traumatic for them. And I am so sorry that you had to experience something so painful. I mean, you don't expect that when you watch like TV shows, you know, about people's birthing right. stories. Right. Yeah. I mean, I got so into like call the midwife, you know, and they, every episode there's like three or four babies being born and they do make it look easy, but they do have these every episode, like someone who has, something going wrong. And it, it is, it's interesting. It's an interesting show. I don't, I didn't feel like, oh, that's me, but there, you don't, no one talks about it. And, and then when it happens to you and then you're a preemie parent and it's a whole, it's like a whole new category that you, a whole new club that you join that you didn't want to join, you know? Well, also um, not to mention the fact that so they the hospital must not be have been equipped under the age of thirty two weeks. So the under the and correct me if I'm wrong. So under the age of thirty weeks, they obviously don't have fully formed lung function, but also like they, so they would they would have to be transferred because under the thirty week mark is extremely dangerous. Am I right on that? It depends. Um, they they have such good technology now that most babies 
even if they're, it depends on the situation, can survive 24 weeks, even 25 weeks. It just depends on, on the baby. Um, he apparently was born with, there's, there's this, the body is amazing. Like there's, I learned all this stuff that had never knew the pre, during and after female bodies, just insanely amazing. You know, what we can do with our bodies without knowing how to do it. And there's this, um, I don't know if it's a chemical, there's something that's secreted that helps, you know, inflate their lungs. And I guess because of the stress or the trauma of going through that, my body secreted it. And so his lungs were okay. Um, yeah. And he was on, they intubated him, you know, like they put that thing in, in the, the, um, on the way to the other hospital, um, in the ambulance, they put it, they had put this in him so he could breathe and he pulled it out <laughs> and then, cause he's feisty and then he pulled it out numerous times. And so he was never on oxygen that long cause he didn't need it, but some babies do need it. Like I, I mentor other preemie moms now with an organization and this one woman, her baby finally went home a few days ago after being, he went home almost like eight pounds, you know, um, and he had air for a long, long time. So it's just, every baby has different issues. So, so Eli's problem was never breathing. It was just that he wasn't baked, you know, he, so like brain development, like all the things that, so, so how long did he end up and was it like, were you scared he wasn't going to survive? Like what were his survive? What were they saying his survival rate chances were? Yeah. Then they don't tell you that because they, they obviously don't want to scare you, but uh, more humor, you know, at one point that this doctor was doing the rounds and he was like, um, he would go up to the isolate of my, like my weird looking, you know, like we told him he looked kind of like a, I don't know. He did not look like a human, you know what I mean? And yeah, he would go yeah. up and be like, Hey buddy, what's up? And I was kind of like, all right, that's a little cavalier. But he, the doctor said, well, I know this one's, he's going to make it. The feisty ones always make it. And, you know, so as soon as I know that they're going to make it, I start like just, hey, dude, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, and this was he so so he was there two months in the NICU. Um, and after a scare with he was always OK, but after he got he got a staph infection from a nurse who was putting a, a pick line in, which is like this line that goes into your. Yeah. And um Again, not naming names, but the um, of either hospital, but the um, I guess the head nurse of of the unit or the head doctor said something. So he got a staph infection, and I got this is after you know a few weeks of being in the NICU, and I got a call, you know, um, and and I say this in my story how every time the NICU called, it would say unknown on my phone, and it was like the biggest blackest comedy. I'm like you you don't know if you're, they're calling you because your son's dead or like he's doing great or something in between. So every time they call it, I didn't, because you have to go home every night. You don't have your baby. You leave your baby in the care of other people. And it's, it's the worst feeling. And you're like, you know, all the milk's coming. And like, I was pumping enough milk for like an eight pound baby. I had to store my milk all over, you know, the tri-state area. And yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you're lucky that you had that problem. Some people, I I had to supplement. Some people don't, but that's well, we all have. That's, that's a bright. That's a silver lining right there. You right. know. I mean, at, at first, it didn't come for it didn't, and I was like, oh, this is not working. And then and then it started, but um, but basically, I, you know, so he they called me one day and they said, um, your son's a little bit listless and he's not doing great, and and it turned out he had a staph infection, so he needed antibiotics. He had to get some blood transfusion. So I came in one day and there was like blood drip, drip, drips, droplets of blood on the floor. I mean, it was like horrific stuff. And my husband would go at night and this is the book. It's my story. You know, he has to tell his, but he would go in at night because he was working during the day. And I would go in with my mom during the, the day. You know, she was like my rock. And there were all this crazy stuff would happen at night, like babies crashing and people running and, you know, he saw some horrific stuff. I'm like, it was so weird. I experienced different things, but not emergencies like that. Um, Let me ask you a question. What, um, I have to backpedal on this a little bit because otherwise it'll haunt me in my dreams tonight. Um, what? So he got a staph infection from a nurse. Was this nurse not covered? I don't know. They they all like were supposed to wear gloves. Um, so either, but you know, gloves can get dirty. Also. Yeah. So, well, um, and like uh, infections and I mean, I hate to go backwards, but I mean, if you like, that's what happened to Julie, it's an infection was right. airborne and they weren't wearing a mask in the room. And that's how my, I lost my best friend was this through the strep right. infection, um, right. getting into her spinal cord, but that's oh, yeah. a separate no. story. But the, my point is, is there's so much infection in hospitals that I was under the impression that they were so strict now because of the of what had happened. You know, I, I yeah. just wanted to ask that question. Well, yeah. And, and what I was saying earlier was um, that so my dad's a doctor. I mean, you know, but other people don't know. And, you know, he's like a, got a photographic memory. He knows a little bit or a lot about everything or he thinks he does. Right. And so he does. He's a smart man. I know. He yeah. So he, he was in the NICU. This was, you know, almost my son's 12 in March. So like before COVID. Right. So they don't even let parents in anymore to the NICU. I mean, uh, grandparents. So he came in when he could. And at one point after the staph infection cleared up, um, I guess the head doctor shows some wrong words to say to my dad, because you don't say this to my dad. He, she said jokingly, oh, we never get staph infections here. Your son ruined our perfect record. And oh my God, he's like still traumatized by that, by that because he went all like Papa Bear and I forget what he did, but he was really, because they had this perfect record of not getting staph infection, but yet my son got staph infection. And, and you asked, you know, if I thought he was going to die, like, you never know when a baby's born early, you don't realize what's still developing in utero. I mean, he missed the entire almost the entire third trimester of just floating and like, la la la. And he's, he's in gravity and he's being poked and prodded. So, um, you know, he, you have to pass these series of tests. Like the eyes are developing They test your eyes. You have to, the brain, they, they scan the brain. Almost every baby, if you scan their brain when they're really, really young has brain bleeds. And this is normal. Like there's just stuff's happening and they have brain bleeds, but 
you don't know this till you have a preemie and there's type one, there's, there's level one, there's level two, level, level three. If it gets really bad and they have a brain bleed, the brain's not going to develop around wherever that bleed is, right? There won't be gray matter. And then they will have mental, mental ability issues when they're older. So a lot can go wrong. Um, Stevie Wonder is blind because of, he was a preemie. He had ROP. It's um, too much oxygen to the eyes, which they didn't know about back then. But I learned that, you know, in the course of dealing with that is like, oh, Stevie Wonder is blind because he was a preemie and he had, so, so that could have happened. Um, the brain lead could have gotten worse. He could have had this stuff. It's just like, um, it's like baby turtles, you know, coming out of the sea and a lot of them don't make it. And just like, and it, you just don't know. And that was the, the fear, the unknown, the, this horrible comedy of like the unknown calling me. And normally it's just a, do, a nurse to be like, oh, hey, I just worked with your son tonight and blah, blah, blah. And, or um, can you go come reminding you to take the CPR class because you have to take, you know, baby CPR before you can go. So it was it's just this whole world that I was Nobody wants you to didn't, that. You didn't expect to be in. And then not only that, but you're going mm-hmm. through as a mother and a new mother, the the hormones changing. And yeah. like, what about like, not to mention the the depression that you would be feeling because you were robbed of like, yes. you know, yeah. so much of like the journey of becoming a new mother, which is like the nursing for the first time oh, or skin yeah. to skin or all of those things that, you know, most mothers are given that opportunity. There's a very high number of women in this country that have preemies. Um, yeah. But that that is significant, a significant amount of trauma for a new yeah. mother to have to go through. There's a lot of, you know, and as you know, a lot of, well, a lot of us get PTSD and don't realize we have it. But when we realize like we realized we had it when we got home and there's all the, you know, in the NICU there's like beeps and bloops and all the machines are beeping all the time. And um, so I don't know if I had it, but my husband would, when he would hear like a microwave beep for years would, would just be traumatized by the beeps and stuff. And, and, and Eli ended up going home before his due date, but he came home with like monitors. So he had these things all over his skin. And, and if he was breathing too shallow or there was heartbeat issues, the machine would beep and more beeping. It was just like total, I, I can't imagine a preemie parent who doesn't get PTSD from that. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure that, I'm sure that they do. Or even like, I mean, I, even like a reg, I mean, just being a regular, like not, I hate saying regular, that's obnoxious, but I, you know what I'm saying? Like not having the trauma, having the regular birth story, of right I remember bringing my first home Sophie and I was already I I'm paranoid as can be just because of all the trauma I've gone through in my life but um going in to see her breathing was something I would like Mm -hmm. I was like crazy about checking on her she co-sleeped with us but then when I finally got her into the crib I was like stalking her what was that like for you And, and tell me like once you got him home that must have been just so scary. You must have been like checking him on, on him all the time. Like, yeah, your st- your stress levels must have been through the roof for both of it you. Was, I have to tell you, I think the the him being at home was more stressful than him being in the NICU almost. Because first of all, like, there's 
nurses and doctors taking care of your child 24 seven. Then they send you home. And he was so small. We had to wrap like, a, you know, those baby blankets that they get when you get when the kid's born. We had to wrap it around his head so like it wouldn't jostle so much when we drove him home. And you get home and you're like, oh, my God, I'm responsible for this, this human. And I've he's been out for two months, but like I've done hardly anything, you know, to take care of him because I couldn't. I did skin to skin every day. And, you know, I I started to breastfeed him with which was super awkward because you're in the middle of the NICU and you have to wheel in these like 30 pound, 50 pound, like, you know, dividers. And there's fathers there. It's it's like a whole other whole other trauma. But um, getting him home and he came home with the monitor, right, was super stressful because that because you're not getting a lot of sleep as a new parent anyway. And preemies don't sleep well. Um, So we at the most, maybe getting an hour and a half of sleep, two hours of sleep, you know, in a row. And that machine, we hated it so much. It would go off. He was always fine, right? But he would, it would go off all the time. So you finally get to sleep. It's four in the morning and you hear beep, 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 you know, and you run in, of course, because you're like, is my child dying or is this machine suck? And it was always the machine sucks and it's beeping. Um, and when he finally outgrew that and this guy literally came to our door to pick it up, the machine, I was like the happiest moment of my life. I was like, take it, take it, like threw it at yeah. him. And cause you know, we would go out to dinner. We were, we were in DC in Chinatown and we would go out to like, you know, get pho or something and with his little baby seat and he would have wires dangling through his onesie and, you know, to like, like he wasn't clipped onto the machine, but you had to keep them on because you don't want to keep take, take them on and off. So he's sleeping blissfully in his little car seat, but with wires dangling out, you know, it's just, it just wasn't, there's nothing normal about it. I couldn't, you couldn't. And they said, you can't really see anybody the first year. Don't really do too much. You know, don't go out too much. Don't have people over too much because the baby shouldn't get, you don't want them to get infections and stuff. Right. So what what that does is create like super isolation for, you know, for me and, and, and Daniel was working at home, but in a coffee shop. So like the most exciting excitement we would have was to visit him in the coffee shop, you know, down the street. Um, and it, it was, yeah, it was, there's so much isolation. I can't imagine women who are going through having a preemie during COVID, how horrible that must've been. Cause everyone's locked down already. Um, or maybe it's better and everyone's locked down like with you. Um, I don't know. But there's so much trauma behind all of it. And that's part of why, you know, I love, I'm going to hold up the book again for my YouTube people, her badass story too. Thank you. Um, I think that there's so much in this that people just don't talk about, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. well, now you have a baby and now he's a young boy. I'm sorry. Happily ever after. Yeah happily ever after but then you don't get to the root of like you know well everything's fine now because he went home from the hospital and then you just pick yourself up and you have a baby with wires and all this stuff but it really makes an impact on you for the rest of your life yeah so tell me tell me for the sake of time like how is he doing today like does he ha- like, did he develop like any, are you comfortable talking about this number one, like any mm-hmm. kind of like long-term effects? Like, tell me a little bit about that if you're comfortable and if you're not, tell me to shut up and go away. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, we're very lucky that um, everything turned out fine. Um, 
so the issues he's having now, either he blames it on being a preemie or we, or we do. So it's kind of like funny now, like he has chronic constipation, which creates all these issues. And there are things from, you know, from being a preemie that, that do like, do happen down the road can create issues. But in general, like he's, he has my dad's brain. So if that tells you anything, he's super smart, super fast. Um, and started reading when he was three. So like his brain's good. Um, and he is overall like, you know, pretty healthy. And, um, I did make a promise to him in the NICU that he could run naked whenever he wanted because all the wires on him, he must've heard me cause he loves running around naked. <laughs> <laughs> Much too much. So he's a nudist. My yes. husband, he will run up to my husband naked and hug him. And my husband's like, uh, like, why is this? Yeah. So um, he, that that is kind of something funny that came out of it. But he he's doing great. Um, he's, you know, we've already made him a world traveler. And he's learned to, like, you know, sort of pack up quickly, throw his backpack on. And he's got his little situation in airplanes, you know, with his iPad. And so he's. He's doing great. I mean, just a side note that part of the trauma that was came on to me in the NICU was that um, a friend from high school ended up there two weeks after me with her son. And I saw her being wheeled in and her son was never doing great um, and ended up passing away two days after Eli left the NICU. So that I was thinking about this earlier today. You know, of course, that was traumatic. Um for her, for her and her family, but it definitely impacted me because there's someone I know and, and just rooting for her. And actually, you know, she and her husband would go over and look at Eli and then isolate. And I'd say like, your son's going to do great. This is, this is going to be him in a few weeks. Always like, so I had to sort of, I felt like I was, I needed to cheerlead her on and she didn't ask me to, but there was another level of, of the sadness and stuff because my son was doing great and hers, her son was well, it's like, it's like, it sounds like you had like survivor's guilt, yes, you know, a little bit. So yeah. Because I, I've met preemie parents who I met this woman at a conference once I was talking about like Reiki and, and, you know, preemies, you know, they have a lot of conferences and this woman literally had three preemies, three, three babies in the NICU. And she's like, I loved it. The experience was great. I made friends and it was so fun. And I was like, what effing planet are you from? Like, it was the worst experience. I never want to go there again. And then people are like, oh, why don't you have another baby? And I'm like, um, do you have an hour or two? Because there's many reasons, mainly being I would be a high-risk pregnancy the next time. And and my son still bugs me to have a sibling. I'm like, dude, you just need to stop. Yeah. But the thing is, is it, I mean, everything you're saying is like, I think what you're doing and like volunteering and like turning your life around. I mean, I've known you, you've always been a very special soul because I've known you my whole life pretty much. And we go through periods where we won't chat or like whatever, but you came out this very special person like a special, special person. And, you know, like this makes me cry. I cry every episode, ladies and gentlemen. Um, (laughs) But just know that I hate saying everything, but I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And I know that people get mad when people say that, 
because yeah. I can say that because I have enough wounds and stuff that I've been through that I know it happened for a reason. Otherwise, it doesn't yeah. make sense. Like, why wouldn't, why would what have happened to you have happened? Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing now is turning your life towards helping yeah. other women and people that have experienced the trauma of of having a premature baby. And I am so like proud. I'm freaking proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I can say that because I've known you so long. Um, Rach, I love you. I wish like I could go on for another hour. Um, I am so happy that. And also, I want to say one other thing. It's not okay to ask somebody why they don't have more than one kid. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother. No, people are just dumb sometimes. Well, I think that people just don't like people just like don't mean it, I guess, or they don't understand. Or it's like one of those things like where you don't say to somebody, are you pregnant? You know, if they have a stomach and I've done that before and now I'll never do it again. Um, But I'm just really proud of you, Rachel. And I know that whoever hears this episode, they might have a sister or they might know somebody that's gone through this mm-hmm. and your story and what, and your, this book is it's to help other women and it's to help other women talk about their pain. And the more that we talk about our trauma, cause this is real trauma, yeah. the more we help one soul that's out there that could be sitting in a room by themselves, you know, because they just had a baby and they're worried that baby might die and and yeah. you just help that one person. So and always I'm, remember that. And I'm always, I'm, I'm always there for them. Like I, as you know, if they need coaching, they need healing work, they need just someone to talk to with the mentoring. I want to be there for people, you know, if it's just one person, five people, a thousand, you know, I don't want people to feel they're alone and I want people to trust their intuition because the last thing I'll say is like the nurses when he was being born, when he was, you know, before he was born, were crying. Actually, after he was born, they were crying and they said, you saved your baby. Like we just had a stillbirth a few days ago. The mom didn't come in. The baby died. And they were cr- the nurses were crying. They said, you saved you saved your baby. So if I could just spread that word that like pay attention to your body and your intuition, you might, you know, if it comes up for somebody, then they'll, maybe they'll know next, you know, and there'll be one. And it's, so, and it's so true. I mean, we, we, as women, we are gifted, but that's a gift. And some people have it stronger than others and can tap into it. But if you have a bad vibe or a bad feeling about something or something's not right, especially when you're pregnant, you need to listen to that. Um, well, I, I, in closing, this is, this is, selfishly a very special episode to me um and you know looking back on your life and knowing like we've been in known each other so long and I'm sad to know that you have had to go through that trauma but I'm so proud of you with what you've done with that trauma and really that's what if you're listening anywhere in I know I have listeners all over the world thank you ladies and gentlemen and other people um i want you to know that if you're in pain or you're going through loss or grief or a trauma of any kind there's a reason why that you're going through this and even though you don't understand it now there's something you can do out of that trauma and it could be just 
helping one other person and then that lights the fire of helping each other and so that's what life's all about and um so i'm really really proud of you shout out to your beautiful family that i love and in closing be happy by making other people happy thanks rach thanks for all that you do your work is amazing and helping lots of people Thanks, Rach. I'm making sure my editor leaves that part in so I can have brownie points in heaven. (laughs) Judging Megan with Megan Judge. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.